in the Bible, the book of Romans, please, today, as I try to answer the question, when is the good news good news? When is the good news good news? And we will look at that beginning in Romans chapter 1. Would you stand with me, please? And a famous, famous verse, but one that uh, we've not used it up yet, so we'll keep on teaching and preaching it, huh? In verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, not any gospel, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, while you're standing, let's read verse 16. Everybody together, aloud, beginning in verse 16, just the one verse, please. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Thank you, and you may be seated. A man said to me recently, as we were talking, he said, I was in church all of my life, but I never understood the gospel. I was in church all my life, but I never understood the gospel. He said, further, I thought it was a book. And he didn't explain that, but I, was, I, I, I believe he meant that I would hear references to the gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Luke, gospel according to John, the four biographies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he assumed, since it never was further explained, that that's what the gospel was about. And so he attended church, but nobody ever really gave a clear, understandable explanation of the gospel of Christ. I sure hope that's never said of anyone who came here, even if they only came here one Sunday, that we always return to the gospel. The word gospel is a translation of a Greek word that you're not interested in. The word is pronounced eangelion. So it looks, it simply means good news. It's the word, that's the root word for evangelist. You can see evangelist there, can't you? It's the root word for evangelism. And you can look at that and see evangelism. It's the root word for evangel, one who tells good news. And so it's a key word, but it doesn't mean anything more or less than just simply good news. And so from it we get the gospel. And yes, we look in our Bible and we see the good news according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's good news because it's the story, and I mean a true story, a true account, not a, a mythical story, but it is the narrative, the history of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work here on the earth. Now, the word can actually mean good news of any kind. And so back in Bible days, the news would come to the people that the Roman army had won a great victory. And they would call it Eon Galeon, 
Good news, our country, our nation, the army has won a great victory. And sometimes it was used in the sense of um, the emperor is coming to visit us. And that's Eongelion. That's good news. He's going to come, and we know he's going to clean up things, and, and the town's going to be improved, and everybody will paint their house and so on, because the emperor is coming to visit us. That's good news. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, the first mention we have of it in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ is said to come, and it says, Jesus came preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And that's not the gospel by which we get saved. That's a different use of the word good news again. In other words, Jesus preached the good news of a future heavenly kingdom that was going to come to the earth that we're still looking for, very frankly. And so it can mean any kind of good news. But when we come to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Notice something in that verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Ah, there's the key. It's the gospel of Christ. It's not the good news that the emperor is coming or the, the military has won a great victory. It is the specific good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he goes further and look what he says. It's the good news that is the power of God that brings salvation to people. So the gospel is essential and critical to your salvation, so it would really behoove you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say, because it is the path to salvation for everyone. So the question I began with, I posed to you, was when is the good news the good news? Well, it's the good news, not when we just say the gospel it's the good news when everybody understands the gospel. It's the good news when it's clear. It's good news when it's simple, when it's understandable. It's good news when it's free and you tell people, look, the Old Testament said, come and buy. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have a price. You can buy because God in His grace has provided for you. There's a, an account of a commuter train. This is back around the turn of the century, earlier than that picture, but it'll help you visualize what I'm talking about. And the commuter train, I think this occurred up in the New York, New Jersey area. And the commuter train stalled on the tracks in the yard where it was high traffic area there, and, and people were boarding the train and so on. They couldn't get it started. And it was before the days of uh, uh, all the electronic gizmos that we have today in the digital age. It was back when they used flags, and they had a flagman on each train. The flagman jumped off the train, knowing that behind, several miles behind, there was a freight train coming. And he grabbed the red flag, and he started running up the track. And he said, if I can get up there a mile or so, and I should have time to do that. Then I'll wave the red flag and they'll stop. And so he went back a mile or two, depending on the time. And here came the freight train and he's waving the red flag. And he's signaling, that, signaling them to stop. They simply slowed down. They didn't try to stop. They slowed the train and 
In a few moments, it was too late for them to stop it. They crashed into the back of the stalled train. People were hurt. Lives were lost. And they did an investigation. Why didn't you, Mr. Engineer, stop the train? And the engineer said, they didn't wave a red flag. They waved a yellow flag, a cautionary flag, not a stop flag. And so they checked, and it was true. The red flag had not been used in over a decade, and it had faded, and it had turned sort of a dirty yellow color instead of it being red. And the wrong signal, the wrong message went out. People were hurt. Lives were lost because the message was not clear. When I heard that story, I thought, well, that could easily, easily, easily occur at church because we assume that people know biblical definitions of very important terms. Do you know really what the gospel of Jesus Christ that is, the power to bring salvation is, if you were to meet a stranger tomorrow, could you give them a simple, clear, understandable message that they would know and that would help them to come to eternal life? I hope you could. Let me try to help you either way and just remind you some really very important things. The good news is the good news when people understand it and when they can make an educated decision about it. Number one, I want you to notice with me the definition of the gospel. And I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And many of you will already know that because this is such a strong emphasis here. But again, I felt it was time that I do a few messages along this line. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to a local church, just like the Baptist temple here. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the good news, the gospel, the eangelion. Now, note that it, a simple declarative statement. I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. It's what I preached to you, and you received it, and wherein you stand. You're depending on it. But I want you to skip that part of it, and I want to go back to the beginning of the verse. I declare unto you the gospel, skip to verse 2, by which you're saved, by which you're saved. And so nothing that I could preach to you about is more important for you to understand than the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is what you are going to stand on in your soul and your spirit. It is that which will save you. Now, let's continue. Go down to verse 3. And he says, I delivered to you this message. First of all, that Christ died for our sins. Now, four verbs here, and we're going to look at them. The first one is died. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's the first and most basic thing about the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's the key sub, uh, concept in the gospel. The idea, note there's substitution. Christ died for us, for our sins, for other people. He didn't die for himself. 
He died as a substitute. The substitute idea concept is critical to the gospel. There's an old story. I think I told it years ago. It's of a little Korean girl during the Korean War back in 1950. And she was enamored with the GIs and she got pregnant by a GI. She began to show and she went home and her mother and daddy disowned her. In that culture, you just did not do that. It was a public disgrace, a shame. And the little girl basically was kicked out of her family and she walked the streets as a homeless, young, pregnant girl. And it came time for the birth of the baby. It was a cold winter night and a blizzard of all things came outside the city of Seoul, Korea. And this little girl, shivering in the cold, and she got under an underpass or something like that, and she gave birth to the baby by herself. And then the snow was coming in, and the cold wind was chilling her, and she feared for her little baby. And she took off her coat and wrapped the baby in her coat. She took off her other clothes And she wrapped her baby up over and over. She kept taking clothes off and wrapping the baby. The next morning, they found her in a snowdrift. She was dead, frozen. She was naked. But the little baby was okay. He was wrapped in clothing that thick. His mother just wrapped him over and over and over. That's the greatest story I think I've heard of substitution. Someone who loved someone else so much they would give their life, their comfort, they would suffer, they would sacrifice for someone else to be saved, for someone else's life to be spared. And the baby lived, but the little mother died because she so loved that baby. Just like Jesus Christ died for me, he so loved me as I preached a few weeks ago from John 3.16. Now, I want you to go back to verse 3 and note according to the Scriptures. And don't take that for granted because Paul is defining for us what the gospel is. And he says Christ not only died, but he died according to the Scriptures. What does he mean by that? He's referring to the prophecies, the prophecies like Psalm 22 that was written a thousand years before Jesus died, and yet it graphically describes a crucifixion even before the Romans invented crucifixion. And it refers to Isaiah chapter 53, that greatest of all Old Testament verses, perhaps. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment of our sins was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All the way through the Old Testament, every time they observed the Passover, according to the Scriptures, it pointed forward to the day when the ultimate Savior of mankind would come to the earth. So Christ died. Secondly, look in verse 4. He was buried. I declare unto you that Christ died for our sins, our substitute that he was buried. And as I've told you many, many times through this pulpit, that that is evidence of death. You bury dead people. You don't bury anybody who is alive. 
I'm sure the Lord knew people would come along after the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended back to heaven and say he didn't die, and they did. They came along with what they call the swoon theory, that Jesus Christ truly didn't die, that he was unconscious, he was near death. They put him in the tomb, the cool of the tomb, and the rest and the weekend there, the three days that he resuscitated, and he came back, but he was never truly dead, dead. And so burial was an evidence that Jesus Christ truly died. When people are buried for three days, they usually are dead, aren't they? And then in verse 4, he continues, if you will. The third verb is he arose. He arose, and you will notice again, he adds the phrase according to the Scriptures. Because the Old Testament had prophesied that Messiah is going to come, and then when Messiah comes, he's going to die, but he's going to resurrect from the grave. That had never happened in history. It hasn't happened since. People don't die and then rise again. But our Lord Jesus Christ did. That's part of the good news. We wouldn't have any good news this morning if Jesus Christ had not resurrected. Amen? The resurrection Easter Sunday is the capstone of our message. The good news would not be the good news if Jesus was still in a tomb. He rose again. Psalm number 16 and verse 10 said, Thou wilt not leave thy holy one to see corruption. His body will not stay in the tomb long enough to begin to decay. Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he will stand in the latter day upon the earth. See, all of those and many more prophecies that the Son of God, the Savior, would die, he would be buried, but then he would rise again from the dead. Prophecy. And then here's a very important one, not often mentioned in verse number five, and that he was seen. He was seen of who? Cephas, that's Peter, then the 12 apostles, then above 500 brethren at once in one big setting, of whom the greater part remain alive to the present. Some of them have died, but the greater part of them, the majority of them are still alive. In other words, over 500 living eyewitnesses, people who are the great majority of whom are still alive, and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ on one occasion together. And then, of course, the apostles. To deny the resurrection is to call the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, to call them liars. He was seen of Cephas, the leader, Peter, we call him. And so the gospel is defined here. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation. Christ died. He was buried. He arose again from the grave. And he was seen 500 eyewitnesses plus the apostles plus others. This is the gospel that has the power to save. It has the power to save from sin and its penalty. It has the power to save from the power of sin that can enslave a person. It has the power to save us from the very presence of sin and take us to heaven when the Lord's through with us here on this earth. It is good news, good news of God's great saving power, and we must never confuse it. We must never confuse it. I was driving 
over to the beach the other day to pick up Dr. Vines when he came in. And uh, over between Marion and Aner, there's signboards on the highway. And boy, don't get me wrong, praise God for anybody who wants to put up a sign and try to help people be aware of their spiritual condition. I'm, I'm for you. I certainly don't mean to be critical, but I, I have to be a biblically critical here in, in a little bit. Because you see, the highway sign said this, pray, forgive me, Jesus, says the word. Big yellow sign, pray, forgive me, Jesus. I would have loved to talk to the person who paid for that. I would have said, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. Because, listen to me carefully, to pray, Lord, forgive me, Jesus, is not the gospel. I just have defined the gospel for you. In fact, it's almost wrong to ask God that. For you see, you're asking God to forgive you with no basis of forgiveness. What is the basis of me asking God to forgive me? It's the gospel, isn't it? That Christ died for our sins. If I don't understand that, to pray and ask God to forgive me is to ask God to do an injustice, really. It's to ask for justice to not be done. And I drove, and I think of other things. For example, I was going out another highway here in town, and there was a big sign that says, Jesus loves you. Boy, praise God for anybody who will pay and just remind people that amen, amen. But I want to tell you, Jesus loves you is not the gospel. Now, I'm being pretty narrow. I'm being pretty picky, but I'm doing it, I'm doing it with intellectual honesty here. The gospel is one thing, and it's not Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you is the motivation for the gospel. That's why Christ came. That was his motivation. And I'm going to talk about that grace next week, probably. But the thing is, Jesus loves you doesn't include the gospel. It's a wonderful, wonderful doctrine, a true doctrine. It's a wonderful truth. Praise God for it. It warms our hearts. To say to somebody, just ask Jesus into your heart. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Just praying a prayer and asking Jesus to save you is not the gospel. You've got to understand the basis for him saving you. Or you're going to struggle then to ever understand your salvation. Giving your testimony is not the gospel. Giving your testimony. Talking about what the Lord's, oh, the Lord has blessed me. He's blessed my family. He's blessed me. And, and, and you go on and you praise God. But that's not the gospel. I, I'm trying to get you so focused on the gospel. You understand the gospel is the account of what Jesus did for me. It has nothing to do with me. If I say I, I have nullified the gospel potentially. The gospel is what Jesus did for me has nothing to do with anything I've ever done for him. And you read it defined here. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll come to understand that. Now, let me give you four little quick points about it that I hope will clarify it even further. Number one, the, the gospel is a fact. The gospel is a fact. It's not a feeling. 
And boy, we live in a part of the country where people really do like to talk about religious feelings and religious experiences. You see, the gospel's a fact. It involves real people in real time and in real events in history, in space and time, as historians like to say. The gospel is not a legend. It's a fact. It's not a myth. It's a fact. It's not a fantasy. It's not like reading now once upon a time to your children. It is a real historical fact that occurred in space and time in Israel long ago when the Roman government crucified the Son of God. It's a fact. It's a well-documented part of history. Jesus lived. He performed miracles. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen by eyewitnesses. And historians at that period of time recognized that. Do you know that? Josephus was the most famous of all the Jewish historians to this day. And he has a whole paragraph about Christ. Tacitus, a very well-known Roman historian talks about Jesus. The Romans even referred in their travel books to people in their maps that Bethlehem was the birthplace of Jesus Christ. They acknowledged the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel then is unique in that it's not based on hand-me-down knowledge second-person information. It has nothing to do with emotion and feeling and that kind of thing. It is a fact. Number two, it's objective. Second thing, it's objective. It has nothing to do, as I've already said, with feelings or with my opinion or with my life experience. Oh, preacher, let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, That's not the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with you. The gospel is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If you think you're saved because of what you felt one day, you're probably not. If you are depending upon an experience that you had rather than the objective, historical, biblical facts of the gospel, you're probably probably not saved. I say that to you kindly, but... I've got to focus you on this. Your attitude toward Christians or churches doesn't change the gospel. I had somebody tell me, well, a bunch of Christians I know are hypocrites. So I just don't believe in Christianity anymore. They're all hypocrites. I said, no, they're not all. And by the way, they're hypocrites at Walmart. You still shop there? And if you go to the hospital and somebody's rude to you, you're going to say, I don't believe in medicine? Yeah, we've got, church, we've got people that are hypocritical in our church. We understand that. We accept that. That's just, a, 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 that's just an evidence of their fallenness, that they're sinners. They're hypocrites. I'm something else. But we're all, we've all fallen short. You can't let somebody else's failure jaundice your attitude toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's foolish, my friend. That's foolish. 
We Christians ought to make, and I read this, this is a great quote. You might want to write it down. Christians ought to make Christianity attractive, but we cannot make it creditable. Isn't that good? Christians ought to make Christianity attractive. People ought to look at my life and, and it attract them to my faith. But you know, I can't make it creditable. What makes it creditable is the Word of God. And if the Word of God is true, then the gospel is that Christ died, He was buried, He rose again, and He was seen of witnesses. The gospel's a fact. Number two, the gospel is objective. Number three, the gospel is finished. It's complete. There's nothing to do except to repent of your sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was trying to think, how can I illustrate the fact that the gospel is a perfect, finished thing. And I thought of a circle. And so I put it, there's a circle, 360 degrees. Now, I, I sat, Jane and I talked, and we tried to figure out, how can we add one degree to a circle? And I didn't waste a whole lot of time on it because I figured out real quick, if I add anything to that, it's not, no longer a circle. And then I said, well, if I can take one degree away from it, that didn't work either. A circle is not a circle that doesn't have 360 degrees. It might be circular, but it is not a circle in the strict definition until it has 360, not 361, not, 360, not 359, 360. It's perfect, just like it is. Can't improve on it. Ditto the gospel. Because men have the tendency, they want to add 361, and they want to add a degree to the gospel. So they want to add, you've got to, be, you've got to believe the gospel, and you've got to be baptized. You've got to believe the gospel, but you can't do this, and they have some standard of righteousness that if you violate that, you're not saved. You're on thin ice, brother, sister. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that salvation comes from people believing the gospel, not holding to standards of righteousness or being, participating in a church ritual, baptism or teaching or singing or being faithful to church. I wish everybody were. They're not. But we are thinking today about what makes the good news the good news? The good news is the gospel is a finished product. Don't add to it. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it is finished. And fourthly, the gospel is never changing. Revelation 14 and 6 says it's the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. And there's only one of those Gospels. Now, I want you to turn real quickly over a couple of books from where you are, the book of Galatians, chapter 1. The book of Galatians, chapter 1. And I want you to read with me Galatians, chapter 1, beginning in verse number 7. Well, let's, let's start in verse 6. Pardon me. 1, 6. Paul said, I marvel that you Galatians there in the churches, that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, I'm shocked 
You've departed from the 360-degree gospel that I gave to you. To, and he just refers to it as another gospel, a gospel of another kind. But it's not really another. And there are people that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I'm going to talk about that tonight. Though we are an angel from heaven, if an angel come and sits on the foot of your bed and you wake up at midnight and the angel there is preaching some other gospel than the one that we have just preached to you, let him be accursed. And if you didn't get it, he said, as I said before, I say it to you again, if any man or angel come and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Let the curse of God be upon him. This is serious. You can't tamper with the gospel. It's complete. It's true. It's finished. We have today many churches in our nation that have abandoned the preaching of the gospel like I'm doing or trying to do right now. And they're focusing on what they now call social justice issues, the old social gospel 50 years ago. And so the focus of the church is how do we overcome poverty? How do we improve housing? How do we improve education in the community? How do we improve access to health care and health care? And, and the focus becomes making this a better world rather than making better people who will make a better world. It's to make social change come about. You've been reading, and I have too, about Hawaii. What a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And it's going to appear that before it's over, scores of people are going to have died. 111 now, but it might end up being hundreds. We don't know. And it's, it's a humanitarian tragedy. And, of course, God has blessed us. I got a, a, an appeal from Franklin Graham, Samaritan's Purse, would we give some money? Because we've been a big supporter of them, and uh, I, I know we will, and I'll tell you about it. I'll, we'll, we'll do it as a church. We'll get it out there real quickly, perhaps next week. And we're going to help in that. But we're not going to forget that the main thing, as Paul Harvey used to say, the main thing better stay the main thing. And we better not forget that our Lord said to us, you go into all the world and you proclaim the good news that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, he was seen of witnesses. There's another deviation from the gospel. It's very popular today. It's called the prosperity gospel, prosperity theology. And you go to church there and it sounds like a motivational service. It's how to be successful. It's how to be happy. It's how to have a better life. It's how to prosper. It's how to, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's all about now. It's all about what you do. And I've emphasized to you repeatedly, when you inject I or me or we into the gospel, you've changed the gospel. The gospel is what Christ did for us. The gospel... I can summarize it in really in about eight words. Christ died for our sins and rose again. Now listen to me. Listen to this. I don't want you to miss it. This is my last point. 
The gospel is the only thing that can bring right standing with God. The gospel is the only thing that will make you right with God. The only thing. You can work your fingernails to the bone. You can absolutely expend your life trying to do good things in the church or out. But the gospel is the only thing that will make you right with God. I got went to the mailbox this week, and the county down here really seems to think a lot of me. They're always sending me mail, and it has tax receipts in it every time. I don't know how I've won such affection from them. This was a bill for my car taxes, and you know what that bill said? You pay this by a certain date and or there's a penalty. And so we'll write the check is in time to avoid the penalty. If I don't write that check and get it to the county, they're not going to love me so much. They are going to start proceedings, and they're going to bring a judgment against me. I'm not going to be in good standing with the county if I don't pay my taxes on time. And that reminds me of this, that Jesus Christ, the gospel is the good news. The Lord Jesus came. He paid my bill. And when I trust him, I'm in right standing, not with Florence County. I'm in right standing with Almighty God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word believe, as I've told you, means a lot of different things, but it basically means to totally depend upon and rely upon and trust the gospel, what Christ did for me at the cross, to trust nothing that I've done to merit salvation, but to trust that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again, and witnesses saw him. And so it's a credible account that I can believe. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.